It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Happy April Fool's Day. Do y'all hear that? Do you hear, do you hear the voice? I've been listening to that voice all week. That's called a head cold voice. Now, sometimes I'll tell you, um, when you listen to radio or other things, technology with recording equipment sometimes modulates it to where you can't really notice the head colds as much. Like, Bo, when you do the editing, you're going to probably notice I sound more normal than when we're talking face-to-face. But in case you guys can't tell, this is The Money Guy Show. I'm your host, Brian Preston, certified public accountant, certified financial planner, and personal financial specialist with my co-host, Mr. Bo Hansen. And we're going to be doing a show. It's April 1st. We're all thinking about taxes. We're winding down you know, the, the, the so-called tax season. And I thought, what better time to actually talk about tax cheats, famous tax cheats, how to tell if your tax preparer is good at what they do. And then we're going to have some fun today, too. I mean, this is, I think I've, I've kind of, I've probably put more show prep into finding cool clips for Bo to guess on than anything else. Just think if we actually did more preparation for the show, how much better it'd be, Bo. I mean, oh, it's it, kind of, it'd be out of this world. Because <laughs> we do this stuff off the fly. If you guys could see how we run this show. But we um, also want to give an echo of a Money Guy Echo. We had one of our listeners who's one of the fans of the show and friends of the show, I'd say, that sent us an article that I want to cover with you guys. But let me give you the website. This is money-guy.com. If you want to go to our website, check out show notes, check out links to everything we talk to talk about today. You can also write the show at brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com. But I'm going to try to work through this head cold. Uh, I did go get a shot earlier this week, a, a steroid shot. And then, you know, I'm to the point in my life where I thought that whenever a doctor was going to fix my situation, it would either come in the form of a shot or a pill. Well, that's not the case. I found out that universally, coffee syrup, doesn't matter how old you are, you're going to have cough syrup. So I do have some cough syrup that I've been guzzling down to um, to help out with the coughing and other things. So I don't think that'll be much of an issue. But I was kind of surprised to get a prescription for cough syrup when, um, you know, most things are done through pills, it seems like. To but, your credit, you do sound exponentially better today than you did about two or three days ago. Yeah, I had to do some speeches on some education matters, and I don't know how good that was. But let me, I've got to do a little technology um, flip here where I'm going to plug in the iPad to give both some of these clips. Hang on one second. And then we're also going to go into this this email that was forwarded to me by one of our listeners. And um, this is the great thing about the Money Guy Show. You know, we've been doing this since 2006, and... You know, we've we've built up clients, which is a big shock to me, but we've also built up a group of friends of people who are really good listeners who send me, con- you know, send me emails just telling me what kind of, what their thoughts on the show, topics they'd like to hear. And I'd encourage you, you know, write us from time to time if you really are a diehard Money Guy fan. We'd love to hear from you. But this was written by Jim, who's one of the fans and friends of the show. And he said, Brian... And it was a real quick email. He says, Brian, this validates your study. I got a red card because of you. Now, listen to this. This is a, he resent me. This was from shopping at yahoo.com. It's an article from Yahoo Shopping. He sent me this back in at the end of March. So just a few days ago, it says, Walmart's slogan may be save money, live better, but rival Target is challenging it by offering even lower prices on everyday products. Two recent price comparisons of grocery and household goods revealed that Target's prices are lower than at number one retailer Walmart. Craig Johnson, a president of retail consulting firm, 
Customer Growth Partners compared 35 brand name items sold at Walmart and Target stores in New York, Indiana, and North Carolina. They consisted of 22 common grocery goods such as milk, cereal, and rice, 10 general um, merchandise products such as clothing and, and home furnishings, and three health and beauty items. Target shopping cart rang in at $269.13, a hair lower than $271.07 charge at Walmart. Said for the first time in four years, our price comparisons between the two has shown that Target has a slight edge over Walmart. The thing that, and it closes out, says if you factor in additional discounts offered to Target's red card customers, the saving gap widens more considerably between the two discounters, said Johnson. When you add the red card 5% discount, the gap widens to 5.7%. That's what we call the money guy echo. We did a show... I mean, what was that, two months ago, Bo, where I was, you know, my own little personal science project, uh, the red card intrigued me. We went out there and... I don't think it was two months ago. I think it was more recent than that, wasn't maybe it? Maybe, I mean, these shows, a month and a half to two months ago, we did it and we found the exact same research. So if you if you enjoy the Target experience, uh, I, I definitely think you might want to consider going out there and checking out the red card and go check out that, that show that we did a few weeks back. Um, you can go check it out at money-guy.com. But let's talk about tax cheats. Now... Let me pull out my outline here. We've already gone through Jim's email. Now it's time to play. I wish I had some cool, you know, handy dandy game show music. So I go. Let's um, let's just do this um, off the cuff. The first one. So we're so, so explain. So, so what we're doing is you have some clips of some famous people who have cheated their taxes. Yeah, and, and, and this didn't fit perfectly because some of them I couldn't just pull clips. I had to because some of these people. Are deceased, so you know. And as good as technology is, you have to bear with me. You have to give me a big window here. But I think you'll get. And some of these that are that are guessable, I'll give you the opportunity to guess. But others, you just kind of have to listen because it's a walk down memory lane too. So, okay. so here's the first one. It may be Chicago's equivalent of King Tut's tomb. It belongs to the king of a criminal empire. It's massive, 125 feet long, eight feet high, eight feet wide. It's a mystery. What secrets lie hidden inside Al Capone's vault? Oh, this one's Al Capone. A world yeah, but look, treasure vault or what cracked me up about this, I actually remember watching Tonight this crazy <laughs> show on the mystery of Al Capone's vault. I mean, I think that's what partially what made Geraldo Rivera get so much pile on his face for that disaster where you sat around and watched TV for a period of time as they opened this vault that ended up having really nothing in it. Let me let me tell you real quick how much Al cheated out of um, the government, and he had a famous line about it too. I have to flip through a few screens. Show show prep at its finest here. It says, after being pursued by FBI for years, legendary mob kingpin Al Capone was finally jailed for failing to pay taxes for four years. In 1931, he was sentenced to 11 years and an eighty thousand dollar fine. Capone famously joked that he couldn't be prosecuted because the government can't collect legal taxes on illegal money. At least he had a sense of humor about the whole <laughs> issue. The next one I have, oh, this one, I don't know, this might be before your time too, but this one, this was pretty profound. It kind of started a whole genre that has taken over the world. So listen to this. Funny when I hear how come you're naked all the time. I'm naked less than one percent of the time. I'd like to be naked all the time. That you would ought be to see the video. In this hundred degree weather. <laughs> Rich is naked. Is he naked? 
He walks around naked quite a bit. And I think it probably bugs some of the guys. Seems kind of childish and immature to me. And it's a walk down memory lane. Walking around on national TV. Because I'm seeing the video. I know it doesn't translate. Different things. I have no idea what this is. So you have no idea what this is. Pretty often with clothes on, and he don't think nothing of it. Peachy. I couldn't care less whether guys or girls are around. It doesn't make any difference. That is the legendary. Well, I shouldn't say. I don't know if he's. It's not really legendary, but he did. He did. He was the first winner of the Survivor. It's Richard Hatch. What crazy old Richard oh. Hatch did after he won the million dollars from the Survivor series is that um, he was the very first Survivor winner. He failed to pay taxes on his one million dollar grand prize. Don't you think that somebody at the IRS is probably typing in Richard Hatch? When you win that, I mean, let's, I have to believe I've never worked at the IRS, but don't you have to know that somebody has that magical computer and they type in like Brad Pitt to see what Brad Pitt made or, or something like that. So I imagine the same thing's going on when this guy wins the Survivor Series, because that is the biggest thing that is going on in that time in history um, here in America. So this nut job decides he's not going to file his tax return for that million dollars. So he was convicted in 2006 of tax evasion and was sentenced to 51 months in prison plus three years of supervised release after serving his sentence. So that's um, old Richard Hatch, who on The Survivor was kind of known for walking around naked all the time, which was kind of disturbing because he's, he's not exactly like an Adonis. So um, the next one I had, is this fun? I mean, uh, this is kind of cool, isn't it? I'm 0 for 2 so far, I think. Oh, this one. Now let me tell you, I have to, as I'm pulling up this clip, this one was kind of hard because I like this guy, but you go pull up any clip of this person I'm about to bring up, and good luck trying to find a clean something, something that you can play on the radio without having to bleep it, bleep it, bleep it. <laughs> so, so here we go. Here's, here's one. And I think this says from Sesame Street, which doesn't really jive. How did this guy get on Sesame Street if you know his life story? So here's this one. Very famous. That's an A. And here's a B. Oh, I know this nobody one. Nobody care about no C. <laughs> and ain't nobody interested in D. Is this really Sesame right? Street? Because <laughs> E's got it all covered. As we ship to the L, hang up with the G, huh? Move down to the H. I mean, I, I have a I have a daughter that's perfect Sesame Street age right now, and I don't see me pulling this one out to educate her. And here come K. But he Walking is a funny man. Along with so who do you think this is, Bo? You know what I mean? That that must be Mr. Richard Pryor. That is definitely Mr. Richard Pryor. If I had a bell, I'd go ding, 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 ding. <laughs> you know, you hit that one. So let me let me um like I said, it is hard to find a clean clip of Mr. Richard Pryor. I think he pulls out the MF word about every third word of of a sentence he does. But in 1974. Almost a good year, close to around when I was born. Richard Pryor served 10 days in a Los Angeles County jail for failing to pay taxes, telling the judge at his trial, you know, I forgot. Oh, Which, okay. Fair, know, fair enough. You know, have a great year and you decide, you know, just forgot to pay those taxes. It was busy. Busy hanging out Sesame Street, obviously. <laughs> okay, here's one that's gotten a lot of attention. Let me pull up this clip. I'll, um, this one, I mean, how old was I when this movie came out? I think this came out in the mid-90s. So I am in my prime at this time. I mean, this is Brian's juking around in his car. Let me pull this one up for you, Bo. I think you'll you'll like this one. You know, Charlie, I'm a little surprised at you. Didn't your father ever teach you never send a boy to do a man's job? That's right. Speaking of boys, B.A. That stewardess friend must be feeling particularly unsatisfied. Charlie, you ever play roulette? On occasion. Well, let me give you a word of advice. Always bet on black. 
Oh, yeah, that's a good one there. I actually do know this one. Okay. That one was Wesley Snipes from Passenger 57, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, Wesley Snipes on top of the world in the 90s. I mean, if I could tell you about my child, I mean, I was a basketball player in high school, so you had white men can't of jump. Of course. I mean, so I was all into that. We also, I mean, the gangster movies, Um, I'm trying to think where he had Chris Rock. It was... I'm your brother's keeper. There was a lot. Of, I mean, you haven't even seen that. I can't. I'm totally blanking on that movie. We'll pull it up after the show's over. But Wesley Snipes was a big deal back in the '90s. So, but so this is another one that I have to believe that somebody at the IRS is like, "Hey, it's the '90s. Let's see what old Wesley Snipes <laughs> made back then." And this guy says, "You know what? Taxes are for everybody else." So when Wesley Snipes was sentenced to three years in prison in 2007. Following his conviction on three misdemeanor tax charges, Snipes was accused of failing to file tax returns from 1999 through 2004. Snipes allegedly tried getting fraudulent tax refunds using the 861 argument. Believe me, I'm going to go into that in a second. A theory that domestic income is not taxable, which is commonly used by tax protesters. Oof. I mean, how did he... I mean... He sounds smart in his movies, but Jesus I guess... didn't file tax returns? I'm he filed bogus tax returns, basically saying that the income was not taxable. Huh. Yeah, I'll, I'll get into the frivolous arguments. That's a, that's a latter part of the show. So that's Mr. Wesley Snipes. A lot. He's kind of the poster child. Even the, I'm about to read you a blog. Um, there's a Forbes blogger that does a great job breaking out the frivolous arguments, and um, he, he mentions Wesley Snipes. So let's go. I got one more. I think I have just one more. Let me pull him up. And, Bo, I'm sure you'll make us sound great when you edit this because take out this dead space. But this one, and I was kind of excited about this clip because this is kind of obscure. I hope it comes through good because this combines my life in the 90s with this person. Oh, that's a little loud. Listen to this. This is cool. Now, you probably are figuring out who this is just by the voice, because right. the voice is... But I want you to listen to the lyrics to this song. Here this is kind of cool when I found this. Entertain us. This is life-changing back when I was in high school and getting ready for college. I feel stupid and contagious. Anybody who's my age in the audience is like, holy cow, you did a cover of that song? now. You don't get it, do you? Hang on, let's see if they do the chorus. And then I, I, I'm not going to make this run on too long, but... Because, you know, he's got, he's got to do his guitar thing. Is he going to do the chorus? Here we are now. Come on, Willie, get to the chorus. Entertain us. Lights out. <laughs> That's a, that's a Brian Fresno version. You just yeah. got a little glimpse. That, that was Nirvana. I mean, I can't believe that. Um, that's pretty cool. You know, Willie Nelson did a cover, and I totally ruined it, but that's Willie Nelson <laughs> did a cover of Teen Smells Like Teen Spirit, you know, from Nirvana, which when that thing came out, that was like the Seattle grunge scene just kind of attacked. I mean, came upon the scene. I remember when I first got that tape. That's right. I said tape <laughs> to, to put in the, the, the old Mad Cavalier that I had. But here's the thing about old Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson owed $16.7 million in back taxes, leading to the IRS in 1990 to confiscate and auction off his assets. Wow. Now, this is the thing. And that's, a, that's, a, that's it for the clip. So we can actually focus on the, um, 
the actual meat of this thing. That was just for fun. But this is the thing I always tell people. Don't mess with the people that have the guns. We have, you know, I have people that want to get aggressive with tax strategies, that want to, you know, try to skirt the corners. And I always say, guys, that's not the group you want to mess with. Because if they disagree with you, I mean, y'all have heard me if you've been listening to the show. You know, you don't pay your power bill. They come and shut your power off. But usually... They, they first send you a letter saying, hey, pay your power bill. We're going to shut your power off. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, they're nice. They're very, very polite. IRS, they'll just cut your stuff and take it. I mean, that's the way it is. They have the guns. They have the power. Don't cheat the government. Now, that doesn't mean you don't want to maximize legally what's going on with your taxes, but you definitely need to be an involved person. Yes, sir. Can I throw a quote in here? And I learned this, you know, when I back when I was in college. It was a great quote that my tax professor always used to tell us. He said that, Tax avoidance, or let me, tax evasion is illegal. Tax avoidance is highly encouraged. And that's kind of always stuck with me. And I think that's a pretty good way to put it. Yeah, you want to legally maximize your deductions. But this is obviously such a big problem that every few years, the government issues a press release about these frivolous tax arguments. So on January 1st of this year, 2011, the, the IRS issued a press release that said the truth about frivolous tax arguments. It says this responds to some of the more common frivolous legal arguments made by individuals and groups who oppose compliance with the federal tax laws. The first section groups these arguments under six general categories with variations within each category. So it goes on and then it lays out the penalties. If you do this, they're really, really trying to encourage you. Don't do this. This is not going to work out good for you if you do this. And I thought... You know, I'm going to get you to put the link to this intro page, which then you can hit the button and it will take you to the PDF of the actual IRS. If you want to read about some of these things between people setting up bogus corporations to saying that, you know, only non-citizens or federal employees have to do it. They have all kinds of things in there. You can get in there and read to your heart's content. But I thought there was a great summary. There's a Forbes blogger, the tax lawyer, Robert W. Wood, that um, he did a great job of summarizing this. So I'm just going to kind of go through this. It said, to avoid, and this is how he titled it, to avoid fate of Wesley Snipes, skip tax protester arguments. Some people find the term offensive, but tax protesters or tax deniers generally voice arguments that are so out there the IRS has a special category. And IRS lingo, frivolous, in quotes, is about as bad as you can get just shy of the F word, the other <laughs> F word which is fraudulent. I thought that was kind of funny. Using these words, the F words, can get darned expensive and possibly even involve jail time. Look at Wesley Snipes. If the IRS finds your argument or position, tax position, frivolous, it can mean a 20% accuracy-related penalty, a whopping 75% civil fraud penalty. If you take a position deemed frivolous on an amended return asking for money back, you can also be hit with a 20% erroneous claim for refund penalty. Plus, if you file your return late, including frivolous positions, the usual penalties for fraudulent failures or t- timely file an income tax return can be tripled up to another whopping 75%. Did you hear? I mean, this this is what I heard. Because, Brian, I, I think of everything from an investment standpoint and kind right. of a, a risk-reward trade-off. Take, take out the whole moral thing of you probably ought to pay your taxes. The risk that you just described of how much it could potentially cost you to skip on your taxes to me, far outweighs the reward of what if you got away with it. Holy cow. Yeah, I mean, they really come at you with the kitchen sink, and, and you know, it's hard to get out of tax debt. So he, he, he says, here's the skinny, arguments to avoid. And he goes through one, two, three, four of these overviews. So here it is, the first one. 
Our federal income tax system is voluntary. Well, if that was the case, would you pay taxes? I don't believe I would. Um, this is a fundamental stuff and pretty self-explanatory. So that's his explanation on that one. I think that's pretty common sense, too. I mean, we all, you know, as much as we don't like to, you know, you have to file your taxes. Number two was definitionally, or definitional, arguments based on the meaning of taxable income and gross income. It's hard to summarize all these, but the common thread is offbeat definitions. For example, don't argue that wages, tips, and other compensation received for personal service are not income. Also avoid saying that Federal Reserve notes are not income, or that only foreign source income is taxable, making your domestic income exempt. This has variations, but this is the one that Wesley Snipe got in trouble for. So he was basically saying his income wasn't taxable. He's a tax protester. Okay, the third one on here, definitional oh yeah, definitional arguments about terms in the Internal Revenue Code. These are creative, but tough to sell. Avoid arguing that a taxpayer is not a citizen of the United States and thus not subject to the federal income tax laws. Avoid claiming that the United States consists only of the District of Columbia, federal territories, and federal enclaves. Don't argue that the only employees subject to federal income tax are employees of the federal government. <laughs> How would the government pay for itself if all the, <laughs> if all the tax collections are straight off of the federal government? That's kind of interesting. Kind of a circular, you know, if you're doing yeah. an Excel spreadsheet. That's called a circular and, reference. <laughs> and, you, and you screw up and it says, whoops, that can't calculate that because that's a circular reference. All my geeks out there. You realize how dirty it was we just yeah, made that that's all right. I, you know, if you work with Excel, you know what we're talking about. Steer clear of constitutional amendment claims. Give these a miss too. There are many based on the 1st, 5th, 13th, and 16th Amendment to our Constitution. They include such as nice try claims as taxpayers can refuse to pay income taxes on religious or moral grounds by invoking the First Amendment. Federal income taxes constitute a taking of property without due process of law and compelled compliance with the federal income tax law is servitude violating the 13th Amendment. That's kind of interesting. <laughs> Slavery. We are, yeah. I guess we are all pay, slaves pay taxes to, to taxes. Slave. And the last one that um, Mr. Mr. Wood pulls out was other fictional legal theories. It says the IRS calls these fictional, and it's easy to see why. This group includes such also rands as the IRS is not an agency of the United States, and taxpayers are not required to file a federal income tax return because the instruction to form 1040 and tax regulations don't display an OMB control number is required by the Paperwork Reduction Act. <gasps> that OMB number. Not the Paperwork Reduction Act. Oh, I know. Also avoid claiming you're a church and don't buy into untaxing trusts or other deals that sound, well, like infomercials. So I thought that Mr. Wood did a great job of kind of putting that together. And feel free to go follow that link to see all the different arguments that you can go out there with. Now, I want to give those of you who are not out there on the fringe so much so that you're claiming that taxes are only due to D.C. residents or federal employees or, you know, or, or just your, your outside the U.S. income. Let's talk about what actually hits us all. A lot of you guys uh, probably do hire a CPA or, or tax preparer. Let me say CPA is kind of just pigeonholing everybody, but a tax preparer to do your taxes. And a lot of you, I, I, you know, I don't do a ton of taxes. I do, when I started this firm, Back in 2002, I didn't have a lot of financial planning clients, but I did have a background in public accounting. So I, I, I've reviewed tax returns on the weekends at a buddy of mine. He was a partner at a CPA firm up in Atlanta. I went up, drove up there on the weekends, reviewed tax returns, then took on a few tax clients to help pay the bills 
So there's some some baseline knowledge. I've been doing tax returns for, I mean, well over 15 years now. And a lot of people, I don't think they know whether or not they have a really good preparer. And believe me, tax preparers are not all created equally because this stuff, the, the, the tax system is always evolving. I mean, if you're basing your calculation now off of maybe a book you bought in the bookstore four years ago on the tax system, it could be completely different. And this year has been really weird because it's almost like we compacted the tax season into about three three to four less weeks than normal because remember the legislators up there in Washington and their, their great wisdom waited until the last minute to figure out what they were going to do with the expiring tax things. You know, the, the, talking about capital gains, dividends, and, and all that. So they, they fought up there. And then in the ninth hour, or heck, you could say at 9.59, well, let's say 11.59, right before midnight, pretty much, they agreed to extend all these tax cuts. Well, guess what? That was hard for the IRS to get all the paperwork done. So a lot of the tax packages sent out by the professional tax preparation softwares were not really ready to start printing and doing returns until three to four weeks later than usual. And I'll tell you, a lot of you guys who use the, the self-preparatory um, software, the, you know, the TurboTax and so forth, you might, if you filed your taxes in January or February, I'd be a little nervous about that because they had not even released some of the forms that, that had right. to come out. And that's a surefire way to get yourself a letter from the IRS is if you didn't file your return with all the necessary forms. But so this year has been very unique. But let me give a little overview before I go through these five signs you might have a bad tax preparer. This is the thing that I'm always shocked at when somebody comes to me and shows me their tax returns. When you go visit with a tax preparer, I'm hoping the ideal situation is they're going to ask you a lot of questions. And the reason they should be asking you these questions is because they're trying to find out your situation. They're trying to make sure they're maximizing your deductions because there's credits for all kinds of things. If you have both spouses are working and you have the children in some type of aftercare, um, you know, pre-K program, there might be a credit there for, for both spouses working. There's also, if you've got any anything with education going on, there's probably some credits going on with that. If you're saving for retirement, that impacts your taxes. If you made modifications to your house, especially to make it more energy efficient, there were some tax credits for that. There's all kinds of things. So hopefully your tax preparer is going to be asking you questions about your you know, what you did over the past year and not just waiting for you to show up with your shoebox or envelope and whatever you hand them is what gets prepared because that's not effective because one deduction can more than pay for their fee. And, and this, believe me, I'm not giving an infomercial on why you should pay a, ta- a, a tax preparer. Um, I think if you have a very simplified return, there's nothing wrong with TurboTax, but I am saying don't be the tightwad that once you start getting rental homes, you have businesses, and other things that can start making the tax return a little dicey, don't daggum cut off your nose just to save a few hundred dollars of tax preparation because it doesn't take much for that person to pay for themselves. But did you have anything to add before I jumped into these five signs you might have a bad tax preparer? No, I think I go, go rock on. ABC News had a, you know, an article, and I've already read it several times, the five signs you might have a bad tax preparer. It says things to consider before filing your tax return by April 18th. And um, it, get, it first gives you the, the horror story. So let's kind of set the table here with this horror story. It says, Kenneth Martin, a utility worker near Columbia, South Carolina, hired a Liberty Tax Service franchisee to file his tax returns in 2007 and 8, not expecting any problems. Martin, who was 57 at the time, had hired CPAs in previous years to file his tax returns without a glitch. 
So he was surprised when he later learned the South Carolina Department of Revenue was auditing him and his wife. I thought, why? I want to. I, I, I went to a professional tax service for advice on how to do my taxes. I'm all about paying what I owe. The Martins then filed a lawsuit against the Liberty Tax Service franchise franchisee in 2009 and against the company in South Carolina District Court in November. In their complaint, they said the firm inflated business expenses and produced false information about charitable donations. So it's that you can tell this went bad, that this was somebody who, who did some frivolous things and, and, you know, and the Martins had to, to lay claim to what right. was on their tax return. Because you ultimately, even if you have a professional tax preparer, you're the one that's on the line, even if they give you warranties. And that's the, that's the thing that said the Martins also claimed the Liberty Tax Service office they hired did not follow through with a guarantee to assist them during the audit process. The company guarantees to give you the most accurate return and the largest possible refund. If we make an error in the preparation of your return that results in penalties and interest, we'll pay the associated penalties and interest according to the complaint. Um, so they filed a class action, you know, and it it goes on, and I thought what was interesting before I get into these five things, it says that last year the IRS audited 0.9% of the 187 million tax returns filed for 2009. So there is less than 1% you're going to get audited. and um, But I think you have to. I've actually been through some IRS audits, not for me personally, but helping clients make it through an IRS tax audit. And that's why whenever I have a client bring me something gray, I say, I want you to visualize yourself sitting across from the IRS as you're making this, this deduction. Because I have, um, and, you know, hopefully I don't get anybody in trouble, but I have a pilot in my neighborhood who's always, whenever, you know, we're at a softball game, cheerleading event or something, he's always like, you see my watch? Business expense. Oh, no. Hey, you see that cool golf cart I got? Government paid for it. And, you know, and I'm hearing this stuff, and probably, you know, he was able to get, do it because I know there are some electric car credits and other things like that, but it's aggressive, very gray and aggressive to do some of these things. And I, I just don't do that stuff. I'm just, I'm not going to push the envelope. Um, but I, I always, I always joke with him. I say, well, you know, everything's deductible until you get caught. I mean, that's always kind of how I end the sentence. So I just caution you because I have had, um, I, I've had about three clients in my, my career of doing returns that have gotten audited. And I remember two of them have used me to help them through the process. And one just said, um, no, I'm going to represent myself and talk to the IRS. And I can, t- I, pr- I tell you guys the truth. I knew it was going bad for him when he called me crying because the IRS agent was essentially breaking them down because uh, it is, you know, about some mileage expenses. Right. I mean, which they were all on the up and up. They really were, but the IRS don't represent yourself in an audit. If I can give you any advice is don't represent yourself. Go hire a good accountant, lawyer, or somebody to represent you and, and sit across the table from the IRS because it, it can be intense in an IRS audit. But let's talk about these five signs you might have a bad tax preparer. Your tax preparer, number one, your tax preparer does not have a preparer tax identification number. Now, first of all, can I editorialize something here? Please go ahead. This is a joke to me. I have had a PTIN number for years. I mean, they, they came out with these things many, many years ago. This is how I think that the government really is running out of money is because now they've come out, they, they issue this number. I got issued this number many, many years ago, and it just kind of sits in a folder and it's built into my tax program. So when I do tax returns, this number just flows through. Well, this year they've come up with a new program. I get to keep my same number, but I had to go through this whole application process where now every year I'm going to have to pay a fee 
to keep my PTN number going. So, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how much I put into one. I guess it shows if your person's serious about doing it. Cause I went through the process, renewed my PTN number every year. Now the government will take that fee from me. Um, but, but it does seem like it's more of a revenue gainer than um, actually trying to look after the big bad people who aren't doing a good job with tax preparation. So according to the IRS, new regulations this year require that all paid preparers, including CPAs and attorneys to apply for a PTIN number before preparing any federal income tax returns in 2011. About 190,000 CPAs have registered for the PTIN so far, said Edward Carl, Vice President of Taxation for the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, the AICPA. Uh, Of the AICPA's 370,000 members, about half work in public accounting, Carl said, and the vast majority of those CPAs focus on tax work. So need to have the PTIN number. And that, that probably is good advice because you want to know they're serious about right. they're going to comply with all the government rules. Because if they're not going to comply with the government rules, probably not going to be the best person to be your gauge on whether or not this is deductible or not. Number two, a tax preparer makes blanket claims or guarantees a specified refund amount without knowing about your financial situation. I mean, that just seems like common sense. Uh, I mean, in financial stuff, sometimes I wonder if common sense falls in the equation for a lot of people out there. But it says if someone gives you a flat return amount or says something without knowing the parameters of your circumstances, I would say it's not reasonable, Carl said. Factors that would affect tax preparation costs and the tax refund include marital status, the sale of purchase of a home, owning a business, getting divorced, children, and educational costs. Also, employment in multiple states requiring multiple state filings can complicate the filing process. Oh, yes, it can. So that's number two. That one seemed kind of cut and dry. Number three, your tax preparer has a questionable history. And this one says the IRS suggests you check for any disciplinary actions and license your status through state boards of accountancy for certified public accountants. The state board associations for attorneys and the IRS office of professional responsibility for enrolled agents. Um, it goes on, it says Charles Miller, spokesman for the tax division of the department of justice said the department have seen hundreds of cases, cases of illicit tax preparers referred by the IRS in the past decade. The most expend- um, the biggest response is to file a civil injunction to shut down the preparers operation. So there are some people that are Imagine Wesley Snipes' account. It's probably no longer preparing tax returns. I think not. It goes on. It says referrals from someone you know might be the best bet. <laughs> Number four, your tax preparer asks you to sign a blank tax form. Who does that? Hey, he, he probably wants that in addition to that blank check that you're going to sign for. Well, especially, I don't know. You know, it was a big deal. I, I've never done those advanced refunds. You know, we e-file and do everything else on this small. And believe me, taxes is probably less than 10% of our total business because we are wealth managers and investment guys, and I don't even take on new tax clients. These are just people that have been clients for a number of years. But I I just don't know how you get into that. Now, a lot of these had these payday-type loans attached to your tax return where, you know, you go ahead and sign over your right to your refund from the government, and they'd go ahead and pay you on the spot. So And they were getting a cut off of whatever that refund was. And that stuff was very controversial. And I think some of them still might be doing some of that, but I think they, they, they updated that process. But you can see... When they were doing that type of stuff, there's definitely an economic incentive for them to get your refund as big as possible. Hence why you see these people that were running all these crazy fraud schemes where they were inflating corporate expense, you know, business expenses, your, if you're a salesman, all your mileage and things like that. You've really got to know what's going on. It says, if the tax preparer used faulty means when filing a client's return, the client is usually not off the hook from paying penalties and interest after an audit. 
Therefore, it's important not to give or prepare a free license with your signature. And I think that's, don't sign, even if the person's on the up and up, I'll tell you this year, we use an electronic tax organizer where we send out via email um, the few tax returns we do here. Um, the, the clients filled out, send it back to me. Well, there was a glitch with this one client. I, I don't know if she, it didn't work out perfectly, but I sent her the tax return that I thought was complete with everything she had provided me with, but I didn't know that she had bought something during the year or, or, you know, so she had, she fortunately looked at the return and realized it called me. We got it all fixed out. So I'm telling you, even good preparers can make mistakes. So it is very important not just to sign off on that, that, that return without looking at it. You just got to make sure it's accurate. And it says, number five, your tax re- preparer does not ask you to review the completed return before filing. And this kind of t- rolls right into what we just talked about. It says, whether they use a tax preparer who filed inaccurately, intentionally, or inadvertently, your liability remains the same. Utility worker Martin said he and his wife, remember that's what we started this article out with, he and his wife learned that lesson the hard way. Martin first used TurboTax computer software to start his tax return filing this year and then paid an accountant about $187 to file his taxes as a safety precaution. I double insured myself this time, Martin said, who said he paid Liberty Tax Service one and a half times to two times as much as he paid the accountant. I'm so gun shy now, I don't know who to trust. And, and it's unfortunate that guy had that bad situation, but I think... If you just really do your due diligence, your homework on who's preparing your taxes, make, make sure they're asking you the right questions about your lifestyle. Um, you know, and, and I w- I'll tell you, one of the easiest things you can do when you're reviewing your own personal taxes, grab last year's tax return and really do lay them right next to each other. Go side by side and see what's there this year that wasn't there last year or vice versa. You know, you want to see do a side by side comparison and really make sure that what you know should be there is there and not, nothing's missing and that everything lines up. It is um, that type of stuff is what's going to save you the heartache because nothing makes my heart drop more than when I see a letter come in the mail that says IRS on it. Because like I said, they got the guns. So you want to be on the up and up with them, do everything you can to be accurate, but also maximize those deductions. There's nothing wrong with legally taking what you're owed. Um, but just don't be gray. Do what, do the right thing on that, and I think you'll keep yourself out of trouble. Bo, you have any thoughts before we close this thing? Then this showdown today. I think that was good. Hope uh, hope it helped. So let's wrap up tax season. April first. I don't think we led you astray, even though it's the April Fool's Day. Um, anything we can do, feel free to write us, Brian B R I A N at money guy.com. Also check out those show notes at money guy.com. Um, we're going to have quarterly commentary coming up in the next few weeks that we'll be putting out there under the premium section. So if you'd like to see what we're telling our clients about what's going on out there in this crazy financial world we're in, check us out at money-guy.com. I'll talk to you in two weeks. I'm your host, Brian Preston. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. <laughs>